You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. I'm going to read out of the Amplify today so it doesn't have the these and the thous. Chapter 23 of 2 Kings, King Josiah sent and gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the Lord's house. The king stood on the platform by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes with all of his heart and soul to confirm the word, words of the, this covenant that were written in the book. And here's, I underline this. I don't know if you underline in your Bible. I do because it helps me remember important things. And all the people stood to join in the covenant. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Father, that your word never returns void. Even, Father, when you have to use someone of lesser abilities, Father, when the word is spoken, it reaches its target every time. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask, Lord, that that what we talk about today will get into our spirit, Father. It won't just be another sermon filed away in a in a far gone memory bank somewhere, Father, but it will be something that is front and center in our lives. And so, Lord, we give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Slap three people a high five. I don't know about you, but I am ready for God to have his way. Amen. Now, as Colleen was rattling off and telling on me there earlier, those of you who are streaming, you missed it. Uh, she was saying I was grumpy Wednesday night, didn't want to come to church, and then the Lord showed up and did great and wonderful things. The beauty of that is, is God can, can work with all kinds of stubborn little attitudes. In fact, I remember when the Lord worked with a donkey to help a prophet. So... <clears throat> I'll leave that alone. I won't go any further with that. But God can use our mule-headed attitude sometimes and still do great and wonderful and mighty things uh, for his good. Uh, So I want to share with you today something that um, I don't know if this is a teach, a treach, a discussion, uh, run the, I I don't know what God's going to do here. And I'm not going to try to put him in a box and and make him conform to my ideas. But I want to share something. We started a few weeks ago with Hezekiah, a good man of God who loved God, sought God, lived for God, but tried to take matters into his own hands and dealt with an enemy out of the works of the flesh instead of trusting God. Has anyone ever done something that later you figured out really wasn't God, it was more your desire And he tried to deal with this enemy uh, by bribing him, only to find out that that made that enemy despise him more and despise his God more. And had he just followed the Lord, the Lord would have put the fear of God into his enemy. And oftentimes, uh, I've, I've noticed in my own life that I get good ideas, But good ideas aren't always God ideas. And we need to know the counsel of God's word. What does God say about the subject? What does God think about a certain particular thing? You know, it's easy to go into a situation and and think you know. And start to pray prayers that are really personally motivated and add the Lord's name to them. Come on, let's just be honest. Oh, come on. Now I'm getting right down in the middle of, of, of situation. But... It's so much better if you know the word and you know God's heart and you know God's will about a particular subject. In this case, Hezekiah being the king, he should have sought God first before he tried to devise a plan of his own. But oftentimes when you're under the pressure of something, 
When there's an enemy bearing down on you, that's what happened to me Wednesday night. There was an enemy bearing down on me. I'll just be honest with you. The enemy has been bearing down on me for the last few weeks. We've been setting two years with a building project I got you into. Can I just be honest? I got you into, and then everything died. Everything stopped. Everything just suddenly came to a halt. Now, I still believe by everything that the, word is, the Lord has told us in both the written word and in the rhema words that he has given us, that there's no problem. We're going where we're supposed to go. And we, but but I, I just got to be honest with you, the enemy brings that to you. And he starts trying to convince you that you've missed it. You're out of step. You're out of alignment. And it would be real easy in this moment for me to react out of a fleshly thing and try to sell the building or get you out of this or whatever. Uh, but God's got a plan. And then when you go through a season where, where there's a winnowing and in the winnowing and the, the, the separating of the wheat from the chaff, then you begin to question more. And the enemy goes, oh, yeah, this is really working. Yeah, this is going backwards. Great. You're doing good, Pastor. Come on. I'm, just, I'm, just tell, I'm letting you into my world so you know. The enemy is a punk. The devil is a punk. He's not just a punk. He's a, can I just say, he's a junior high punk. The ones that think they're big. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I remember when I was a kid and, and, and doing my thing and uh, stealing cigarettes from my parents. Back when they smoked, they don't smoke anymore. But I'd steal a cigarette once in a while and go out behind the lilac bush in the backyard to smoke a cigarette. And I didn't even inhale, but I thought I was big. Puffing smoke back there, right? And I was all of 11 and 12, and I thought, man, I am cool. I'm not just cool. I'm the essence of cool. And now if I go to some youth event and I see an 11 or 12-year-old kid with a cigarette in hand, I go, you stinking little punk. You need your bottom slapped. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. But the enemy is a master at diversion. He's a master at accusation. He's a master at um, ridicule. And so sometimes we get ourselves in situations and I said all that about the kid to, to let you know what measure of punk the devil is. He's not nearly as bad as he thinks he is. Oh, come on. If you're a child of the most high God, he's not really truly a match for you. That's why we stand in faith. My faith, my faith isn't so much about how much I can quote and speak and, and pull up from memory. My faith is about not being moved in a circumstance. My faith is really, really solidified in what I weather in the storms that come my direction. That is faith. When I don't give up in the middle of the fight because I can remember, hey, I've got, I've got victory. The word says I have victory here. Mm, are you with me so far? And so Hezekiah got himself into some trouble, but I love Hezekiah's heart because when he, when he got the word from the prophet that you are going to suffer for getting into the flesh. In fact, get your, you know what the word was, get your house in order. Get your house in order because your days are numbered. It's about over for you. And Hezekiah fell into repentance. How many times in my life have I had to fall into repentance because I got self-willed in something? And so... I want you to see this today. Hezekiah falls. He calls on his God and the merciful God that we serve, even under the covenant of the law, showed mercy on him because his heart was right. It has always been a heart thing with God. It has always been about our heart, not about the letter of the law. It's about our intent towards God. That has always been what moves the Father because he first loved you and he wants you to love him. And so 
He gets into this place and he begins to repent and call on to God to spare his life. And he gets very serious about it. He even turns his face to the wall, which in the direction that he turned was towards the temple. And he began to cry unto God for mercy. Aren't you glad we serve a merciful God? That even if we blow it and we get into the flesh, he's there ready to help us. Even if when we're like the prodigal son, he's standing, waiting, looking, watching, knowing that one day this is all going to turn inward on us and we're going to come back and he'll be waiting for us to receive us again. And he throws a wild party, puts a ring on your finger and a robe around your shoulders. That's the God we serve. Hezekiah got the word that your life will be spared and add, um, we're going to add 15 years to your life because of this act of repentance right here. So after Hezekiah was through here, he had this great reign of serving God and everyone in Judah and in the region understood that this is a man of God. But his son, oftentimes, if we don't train our children in the way they should go, oftentimes when it comes their time, they don't hold the same values, haven't gone through the same experiences, and they have to make their own way. And Hezekiah's son Manasseh turned the nation over to witchcraft, idolatry, and wickedness. And his son Ammon did the same thing. So now we had a righteous generation and two generations of unrighteousness. The nation is now under great chaos. The nation is now under siege of the enemy. What was once moral absolutes have been erased because of the idolatry and the witchcraft that's going on in the nation. Baal is being worshipped and children are being sacrificed. Mm. It wasn't just Baal, but there was all kinds of idolatry that was going on. And there were temples everywhere. Two generations, the people were slaves. The house of God fell into disrepair because of the lack of interest in the house of God. A few weeks ago when we came in here and gave this police a facelift, that was an act of God. That was not just us desiring to put some paint on the walls. God was saying it's time to set a new order and a new structure in the house. When the house falls into disrepair, God's desire is to put it back where it should be. For two generations now, these kings have turned the nation over to every kind of debauchery you can think of. There were orgies in the street. There was all kinds of misconduct going on both outside of the walls of God's temple and inside the walls of God's temple. Harlotry going on in the house of God. Prostitution, sexual confusion, because the temple had both male and female prostitutes. Boy, does any of this sound familiar? When the house of God becomes disrespected, when the zeal for other things and other gods and other idolatries and other uh, distractions become number one in our life, that part of our walk with God begins to fall into disrepair. And when God's house is out of order, mark it down, society is out. Of order. I'm supposed to be sitting down and teaching you nice and sweetly. So Manasseh was wicked. Ammon was wicked. But Ammon was so wicked that he was murdered in the middle of his reign. He was murdered for his treasonous acts. 
He was despised and murdered and left to die in a place of disgrace. (laughs) But Amon left a son. And his son's name was Josiah. Josiah was eight years old. How would you like to serve an eight-year-old king? In this society, I can't think of anybody who would, who would really do right by that. Now, I don't know when he actually started serving. By the time we catch up with him here in the story, he's around the age of 16. So I don't know. Yeah, it's almost worse. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what those first eight years of reign were. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. The Bible doesn't say much about it. But when he gets to this stage, he's looking around and he's going, this ain't right. Now, this is a young man who's been raised in two generations of anything goes. Is this all right? Doesn't matter. I'm going to preach anyway. Two generations of anything goes, but he looks around and his heart says, God's house shouldn't look like this. He must have had a praying mama. That's my guess. He had a praying mama. And he looked at it and he said, this ain't right. And so he went to the treasuries. And he demanded money to be spilled out of the coffers and handed to the craftsmen so that they could put the house of God back in proper order. What was torn down and left to, to, to look dilapidated and rotten was now being restored. In the middle of the restoration process, goodness gracious, I'm way ahead of the message, but we'll get there. In the middle of the restoration process, while working near the ark, ark of the covenant, one of the workers, which was a high priest, who went in, discovered the book of Deuteronomy laying on the floor next to the ark. He brought it out, and it was brought to the king. And see, up until Manasseh, all of the godly kings kept the word of God, which was that the book of Deuteronomy was to be read aloud to the congregation every year. But for two generations now, no one's followed that tradition and no one even knows what the word says. No one owned a Bible. They got their word secondhand from those scribes and priests who taught the word, who now many of them have played around with so much, uh, what do I want to say, played around so much with so much compromise and mediocrity that some of them were not only serving in the house of God, they were serving in the temples of the idols. Are you following me? They bring to the king the book of Deuteronomy And he has them read it aloud to him. As they read it, something began to stir on the inside of him. They said, wait a minute, we're not following God. We're not following his statute. We're not following his truth. We're anything but what this word says we are. We're not following God. No wonder we're in chaos no wonder everyone's confused. No wonder there's, there's all kinds of, of sexual misconduct going on. No wonder there's child molestation and murder going on. No wonder we've forgotten God. We've forgotten his word. We've forgotten that his word is a life. We've forgotten his word is absolute. We've forgotten he is the creator and he created the order And we're out of order because we don't follow his order. 
Is this too much? So Josiah gets the nation when society is out of order. The king's palace is out of order. The church is out of order. And understand this, that when the ruling faction of a nation is out of order, a curse settles on the land. These are not my words. These are the words of God. I'm going to say that again. When the ruling faction of a nation is out of order, a curse comes on the land. And it's been proven over and over in biblical history and secular history. Every time we try to do it our way and take God out of the equation, it turns society upside down on its head. Why? Because we take the the intended structure and order out of society. And when the church falls into disrepair and disregard, society hasn't got a prayer. And so often we're shaking our fist at society while waving our our, uh, stars and stripes. And please don't, I don't mean that in any disrespect whatsoever. I have great pride in our flag. But I'm here to tell you Patriotism alone will not change our nation. The church changes a nation. It has always been that way. Three of you are excited. So here's a young king who sees the wrongs around him. And he made his first major project as king to restore the house of God. Listen closely to me. This is going to sound political. I did not put this message together to be that way. I'm just speaking truth to you. Any king slash leader of any nation who puts the restoration of God's house as priority will walk in the favor of God and man. That is a line to write down right there. Because it's true. The lewd, crude worshipers of Baal and Asheroth and the sorcerers who were in the land had actually desecrated the temple as it fell into great disrepair due to the two previous kings. And when society's ruling class stops obeying God, society soon follows. And simply no one much cared about the temple anymore. Most were praying around or playing around with a mixture of God and idol worship. And nothing in the land was really pure. Not in government, not in society, not in the church. Everything was out of order. Yet this king, this young king, has a desire to put God's house back in order. And he spends adequate finances from the temple bank accounts to restore the house of worship. And when, the, uh, when, when they found by the Ark of the Covenant, the book of Deuteronomy, I've already said that, it was given to the priest and to a scribe to read it to the king. Things like this. Don't listen to the words of any prophet who steers you towards or away from your God to any other God. There's a penalty that goes with that in the word that in society today is unacceptable, but it's said to eradicate it with extreme prejudice. He also read things like, but go after your God, the true God. Let him be the only God you serve. Deuteronomy, the 13th chapter, the fourth verse says this, learn to walk after him, to reverently fear him, to keep his commandments, obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cling to him only. Put away the evil from your mind. Deuteronomy is filled with the law of God and the tearing down of idolatry and the purging of witchcraft and rebellion to God. 
And once the young king hears this, he exacts vengeance upon the sin in his land with extreme prejudice. I know this sounds radical in 2019. I know this sounds radical while we're trying to appease everybody, please everybody, and make everyone in society comfortable so they'll come to our church. And I'm not being ugly. Trust me. I want the world to come. I want people who don't normally come to the house of God to come in here and to find what it is they need. I don't want to, I don't want to run around judging everybody. What I want to do is get them in here so they can hear the truth. I want to tell them the truth, and I want to have backbone enough to tell them what the truth is and not to cave and back up because society has a differing opinion than the church. Once the young king hears the word, he exacts vengeance upon the sin in his land. He runs out and he tears down all the high place temples. I don't know if you know, understand this or not, but they would put the temples, any kind of a temple was to be lifted up onto a mount, up onto a mountainside. And quite honestly, any place that an idol temple set, it was a mockery in Israel against the one true God where his temple set upon the mount. They would try to find some place just a little more elevated to put that temple. Because Satan has always tried to exalt his throne above the throne of God. And I want him to understand that you can keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, baby. But you're never going to put your throne above the throne of God. He might be able to manipulate society and people and work with people and get people to do things that are unseemly and ungodly and out of righteous order. But I'm here to let him know no matter how many people you bring along to the party, no matter how many people you deceive and trick who try to help you with your agenda, you will never set your throne above the throne of God. Mm. So he goes in and tears down all of the temples and the high places and the idols that were perched above the city and the township. The idol temples were built on a high place in mockery of God. He sacrifices, or here, sacrifices and orgies and all type of debauchery was done as acts of worship, as witchcraft and the zodiac uh, uh, worship went on and sun worship took place in these places here in the land. And these places were so influential that it had gotten so in, ingrained in society that it was spilling into the true temple of God and getting into true temple worship. In fact, if you read some of the prophets, you'll find that written on the walls, God showed God showed a, a vision to, uh, I believe it was Isaiah. He showed him all of the, the stuff that was going on behind the scenes by letting him see through the natural wall into the spiritual realm, how they had pictures of their gods painted on the walls inside of the temple. And I, I don't know if there was actually pictures on the walls or not, but he was revealing the heart of the men who were working in the temple, the priests, those who should have been served. Serving God with extreme prejudice were those who were worshiping all other kinds of, of, of idols and, and all kinds of other distraction. And it was keeping the true worship of God from being pure in the house of God. Mm. All of these things were being worshipped there, defying the command and the order of God for righteousness and holiness. And temple prostitutes, male and female, brought in their gender confusion, and it all started in the house. While they were evoking dark spirits of sorcery, confusion came in, and it got its way, found its way into the house uh, of the most holy God. And in the temple courtyards, uh, you could get uh, favors. I'll be real careful how I say this, but you, you could get the favors to satisfy your flesh uh, at the temple of God himself and making a mockery of who he was, making a mockery unto his name, defiling his house uh, with things 
things that should have never been in the house of God, should have never even been in the nation. The the men of God had failed God. The kings of God had failed God. Because when the ruling faction turns their back on God, it brings a curse upon the land. But now there's a new young king at the helm. There's a new thinker in the land. There's someone willing to bend his ear and listen to the oracle of God. And when he finds out that the nation is in direct violation of God's word with extreme prejudice, he goes throughout the land personally with his soldiers tearing down those high places and bringing them to the ground and bringing them to naught. He drove out all witchcraft and zodiac worship and prostitution and sexual impurity. And then he not only tore down the temples. This, is, this will be hard for you to, to get in 2019. But he, he slew the priests and the prophets who were there burning sacrifices to idols. He tore down the temples brought the priests out with extreme prejudice, put a stop to it so this could no longer be be released into society. And he not only put an end to their life, but he burned their bones on the site so that the site would forever be desecrated so that no one would ever build a temple to that idol there again because the land was now defiled with a priest who had once uh, sacrificed and preached the gospel of falsehood there. Then he didn't stop there. He went and dug up the bones of the previous priests who had already died and gone and brought them to the site and he burned them in those places too. And he got so filled with the zeal of God that he didn't stop just in Judah. He went all the way from Jerusalem to Samaria and every place he found a high place. He went up with extreme prejudice and he brought it down in the name of Jehovah and said no other God shall be worshipped in this land except God Jehovah he cleaned up Judah and all the land he eradicated anything that would oppose God or fight for the people's attention over God he was ruthless against sin violent against the nature of sin he brought back true worship he brought back reverence for God he reformed government to God and he led the nation back to the one true God and the curse that was already pronounced against Judah was stayed because of King Josiah Mm. I get excited when I hear you call your son by that name and then couple weeks ago he walks up here on a Wednesday night with a word from God and shared the word of God and it set the house into order I was more excited over that than anything that happened that night because my job is here to train up a generation and the, the succeeding generations. I don't want to be like Hezekiah and leave behind a Manasseh and an Amon. No, I want to leave behind Josiah's. I want to leave behind those young people who with extreme prejudice will serve their God and not let anything else filter in. Who will vote their moral conscience who will stand up to their nation no matter what is legislated and say, if it's against the word of God, I'll not abide by what you have done, but I'll abide by the word of God. I got to quit. And the curse was, that was already pronounced was stayed. And it was put on hold and caused to stop because of Josiah's righteousness and because of his pursuit of God. So let's look quickly. Hezekiah prayed and his life was extended and his inflammation was healed. Every major disease comes from inflammation, but Hezekiah's inflammation was healed. We know his son and his grandson, they lose sin in the land, but Josiah, he sees the wrong. I'm looking for a young generation that sees the wrong. 
I'm looking for a generation to follow me that I can hand this baton to. That when they stand in this pulpit, I can stand there and shout, come on, boy, come on, preach. I can shout, come on, young lady, prophesy. Come on, you dreamers, share your dream. Come on, I know because I know your heart. I know your heart is right. I know there's no mixture. I know you're not playing and dabbling over here and bringing it into the church house. I've lived long enough to see that mess my entire lifetime. That's why our nation's in the mess that it's in because there were some previous generations that wanted to play. Even though there's been righteous people throughout the, the ages there have also been those who wanted to play and dabble here and dabble there and then bring it into the house of God and try to confuse the house of God by bringing in a mixture something other than the word of faith something other than the word of God something other than the instruction of God to build your life upon and I want you to understand that my heart as long as the Lord allows breath in these lungs as long as the Lord allows me to stay in Cameron Missouri I'm leaving behind the legacy of people who believe in the righteous word of God, who will not compromise his truth, who will not back down, who will stand in the face of opposition and let real faith be known. Praise his name. Josiah sees the wrong, restores the house of God, eradicates sin and idolatry with a vengeance, restores worship, true worship, back to the house of God. He restores the government. He restores the nation. He stops the overthrow of his nation by the enemies who are trying to overtake it by his acts of righteousness. If you want to stop the enemies who are trying to steal your land, stand up and serve God. Stand up and serve God. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper as long as you stand and worship him every enemy will be dispelled every foreign uh, enemy will, will find themselves rocking back on their heels and saying their God is God Amen. so he set the house in order <laughs> and when he set the house in order it put the nation in order When the king or the leader of the nation has it right, the nation gets it right. I'm sure it wasn't without opposition. I'm sure it wasn't without warfare. All we see are the victory stories. We don't see how many battles he fought. Order was restored. Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will then hear from heaven and will heal their land. How many still believe that? You know, it's so easy to quote that, but oftentimes the meaning gets lost. Because it's an easy quotable, but it's not an easy doable. Because it requires something of me. And serving God requires something of me. The church got lazy. Can I just tell you the truth? The church of Jesus Christ has gotten lazy. And so it's easier to compromise than to follow the truth. It's a lot easier to sit with my electronic device than it is to break open the word of God and to spend hours here. Instead of ours here. Hezekiah and Josiah, one stayed or delayed a plague, set on his personal house and on his personal life, but he set the house in order. And one set the house of God and the nation in order. And I want to share this with you if I can. Anytime we have a good king, a good leader, it is a window of opportunity for the household of faith. And each year, our opportunity, that window could be closing. I'm sure Hezekiah never dreamed what Manasseh would do. And I'm sure the citizens under Hezekiah had no clue 
what their nation would be turned over to. I'm sure they had no clue what kind of evils would be loosed in the land. And for two generations, they had to fight through that before righteousness was returned to power. I want us to get a hold of that today if we can, because this is a side note that wasn't in my message. We don't want to miss our window of opportunity, ladies and gentlemen. I, as I said, I'm not here to make political statements, but I do believe we have a president. Rather, he knows the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That is not mine to judge. But I do know one thing. He is empathetic to the church of God. And he wants to open up opportunities for us and has made room for us that hasn't been made in a long, long, long time. And we're in a window of opportunity. But here's what, here's, can I just tell you what the church does? I don't, it's not even in my notes. Here's what a church does, the church, the church. When we get into one of these moments and we get a reprieve, and we realize we got a champion fighting for us. You know what we do? <sighs> Is this wrong? We go, <sighs> doesn't this feel nice? We rest instead of advance the kingdom. We back up and go, whew. When right now is our opportunity to, to advance the kingdom. And to advance the kingdom, talk to my soldiers, means to go in with extreme prejudice. Am I telling the truth? And take the land, the territory. When you go into, I know you've not been in combat, but, but the objective when you go to combat is to eradicate the enemy from the places he's hunkered down. Is that not the objective? This is exactly what Josiah did. He went into the enemy's territory and said, no, you don't. He went into the enemy's territory and said, no, you're, you're squatting on God's domain now I'm not telling you to go into the streets with picket signs and be ugly and nasty and gross in spirit I'm saying get on the floor and cry out to your God get on the floor and start start empowering your testimony Get on the floor and begin to make war against the spirits and demonic hordes that hang in the atmosphere that have been loosed over our nation, calling them down one by one, calling them out name by name until we stand up and realize that God has heard from heaven and he has reached in and healed the land. Mm. I got to finish because it's, well, I don't have hands on my watch. I don't know. I can't tell you what time it is. Thank you. So this is our window of opportunity. We must seize the moment if we're going to turn the tide. And when I look around at the church, it's more confused than the world. And I weep and I cry when I see the things that are going on in the church. I could name things here that would blow your mind going on in the house of God. I can't because there's children in the room, but I have seen, and I'll, I'll allude to it, I won't go there. But I saw a, a, a pastor the other day who had all of the young girls of their church melt down their, what was those rings called? Their purity rings that said, I will save myself to marriage. And they made an idolic statue to female anatomy and presented it to the church in Jesus name 
So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not preaching to you some far-fetched, long-ago story. I'm preaching to you modern-day truth. Mm. Let me finish with this. An idol is something that you give more attention to than God. It doesn't have to be a stone thing we've put in a temple somewhere. It could be laying right in your own home. It might be in your pocket right now. And that's what the world wants. They want pocket gods. They've always wanted pocket gods. Because a pocket god is easily manipulated, controlled, and you can take him or leave him whenever it's convenient for you. Is this too harsh? An idol is something that you give more attention to than God. It could be a person. It could be an activity. It could be a thing that you devote your time to before you think of God. If you have placed a higher priority on someone or an activity or a thing, then you have built a high place altar and you need to check your heart. Nothing should take place of your worship of the one true God. Like Josiah, we've got to put God's house in order first. We must tear down anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Then we must eradicate distractions that keep us from God. And both need to be dealt with with extreme prejudice. Drive out all of Satan's attempts to pull you into his witchcraft, sorcery, and idolatry. Man, the house got quiet. got to put my phone away. I can't tell you how many hours I spend. And I'm not saying that's a sin to look at your phone or to react or to share or to have relationship with people on your phone. But if it's consuming four or five hours of my day, that's time I could be giving God. I know it can be a tool. Use it as a tool, not as an idol. Used to be our television, but now we, I think we spend more time. I, I see families all the time. We do it in our home sometimes. We're watching TV like this. Our young ones on their games. We're setting them up. I'm not being ugly. I'm not being ugly, and I'm not interfering in your life. You've got to parent your children. But I just want to help you. If you look in there, and I'm just going to throw out a fictitious name, and little Johnny has spent six or seven or eight hours that day, you're allowing his mind to turn to mush when you could be instilling the power of God, the strength of God, the courage of God into him. Don't take away his fun. Let him have some fun, but you need to monitor the fun he's having. And especially now that you can interact online because you never know who's on the other end. Am I get, I'm getting into meddling, but I'm going to finish this. You never know who's on the other end luring your children into things they shouldn't be lured into. And be, because the children aren't acting up or making a scene, we're going, <sighs> instead of taking the time to create some kind of of interaction with them, it's easier to send them to their room and let them live their life unplugged from you, unplugged from society, unplugged, and then maybe plugged in, like you said, to some fantasy world that will set them up for failure. I'll quit with that. I can't go any further. I can see people going, the beans are burning. You still love me? We got to set the house in order, folks. I got to get my heart right. That's coming from the pastor.
I got to get my heart right. I want my actions right. I want my life to be an example of this is how you live your life. Because there are people in this world who look to me because they know that I represent Jesus. And if they're looking to me and I'm living anything but what the word says, then I'm misrepresenting Jesus to them and it could damage them not only in this life but in eternity. Now, is that too straightforward? So as painful as it may be, I'm going to set the order in the house. As much as it may be hard and difficult for you, if I see something that I think is out of order in your life, I'm going to have a conversation with you about that. Because I don't want you to live a life of confusion. I want you to know the truth. Do you know I love you? Father, I pray for these today under the sound of my voice. These sweet and beautiful people, Father, who have long endurance for my long-windedness. But God, I, I pray right now that you touch their heart, their life. Magnify your goodness in them. Let them feel you, know you, sense you with every fiber of their being, God. That as the household of faith, Father, begins to truly... Get our mind wrapped around your word. Get our heart entangled with your spirit. That we can begin to represent you accurately in a community that needs to know the truth and not a compromise. In a region that needs to know there is a God who is for us, not against us. There is a God who, if he's honored, will reverse a curse. There is a God who can stay the plagues that try to come upon us by the hand of the diabolical enemy of our life. There is a God who can eradicate and drive away confusion from our mind. There is a God who can set a seal on our soul and our spirit. That we would never be plucked from his hand. There is a God. In Cameron, Missouri, in Passion Church, he will be worshipped. He will be worshipped. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.